0: Tradeswork, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast, starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVia. Welcome back to Tradeswork. I'm your host, Dave DeVia, and I'm thrilled to have Emily Hagstrom, Vice President of Communications and Creative Development, for the Consumer Energy Alliance in studio with us today. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you. So talk to us a little bit about your elevator pitch for CEA or Consumer Energy Alliance. Who are you, who are your members, and what issues do you engage on? Consumer
1: Energy Alliance is a a national uh, trade association focused really on consumer energy issues. So really what affects families and small businesses right down to their pocketbooks. Um, Many of our members are a cross-section of the U.S. economy, so they're everybody from mechanical engineers and HVAC guys to chambers of commerce uh, Mm. and even small clothing stores. We really work to educate people across the country in small kind of forum groups to ask questions on things maybe they don't understand or maybe talk to them and uh, kind of expand what energy is. Mm -hmm. I think on its head, it tends to be pretty nebulous. You know that when you flip on your light, you get energy, but how do you get it and what goes into that uh, is really something we hope to educate consumers on.
0: How long have you guys been in existence and You know, how long you've been operating here in the state?
1: Yeah, uh, CEA was created in 2005. Mm -hmm. Uh, It operates nationally in states across the country. Denver particularly is a location, though we work along uh, the Front Range and into the Rockies of New Mexico, Wyoming, Utah as well. But we've probably been in this area of the Rocky Mountains probably for just shy of 10 years.
0: Before the show, we we're talking. You're a Dem- you're a Colorado native. I am. I yeah. am
1: proud Denver native.
0: Good. Uh, me too. You guys, as an organization, are engaged on a number of issues across the country. From a national perspective, what issues are top of mind for a CEA?
1: You know, one of the big things that started right before COVID uh, was the moratoriums that uh, we were facing uh, for energy development, specifically oil and gas on federal lands and waters. Uh, So one of the things that we're paying very close attention to is the lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, which provide 15% of our nation's energy. Uh, as well as Mm. onshore resources and, you know, what that means when you start to constrict supply uh, and the demand continues to increase, uh, which has been a really hard conversation across the country, helping people understand the economics of things when you don't teach economics in school anymore, uh, and why they're starting to experience higher gas prices at the pump and within
0: their homes. Yeah. Well, we're definitely seeing that in our house for sure. So we've zoomed out. Let's zoom in. Uh, what local issues are most pressing?
1: What issues are there not right now? Um, I mean, we're in this convergence of, right, this energy evolution. And how fast should we do it? How slow should we do it? Should we do it at all? And I think there's a myriad of of issues that are out there. You know, the ones that I think of the most are LIHEAP increases. Mm -hmm. Uh, That, to me, is terribly sad. Uh, The governor this year, I believe it was in March, asked for more LIHEAP assistance. Uh, Currently, right now, in a time and age we live in, people shouldn't have to be asking for help on their energy bills, and they are. Congress last year in November Had to put more money into LIHEAP just to make sure that people could turn on their heat last winter. Nine percent of energy use went down last year, Mm -hmm. and they thought that was due to efficiency. It was actually due to people just not using energy at all. So, Mm -hmm. you know, freezing in their homes and not being able to turn on that heat, and you saw deaths that are related to that. I think that's a huge issue, and I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, that energy and security. And the biggest thing lately is the clean heat programs and the building code mandates and the things that really affect how people live in the state, you know, and the electrification that's coming down, I think, is a bigger issue that is, again, one of those nebulous things. You turn on the light, but Mm -hmm. it's something that needs to be a broader conversation, not only at the Colorado Public Utilities Commission, but statewide with our local legislators.
0: So we've had uh, Jennifer Grimmert from Energy Outreach Colorado on our show talking about that assistance and the demand that's been growing. And, you know, uh, we we believe that, um, at least as an organization, that, you know, energy consumption ought to be consumer-based. And, yes, we have been doing stuff in the energy efficiency basis or space, I should say, for decades now. And, you know, there is a call for us to ramp that up and I get that and we're doing our part. Um, but 80% of all households and buildings are heated with natural gas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that migration has got to happen, at least in some people's eyes, a lot quicker than it can. And so we're very much kind of attuned to, or at least watching the, the issues that you're speaking to today. And want to play a part, so just keep us in mind as uh, as you evolve in those conversations. So switching subjects a little bit, your CEO wrote an article in Colorado Biz Magazine recently highlighting the need to cultivate the next generation of talent. It mentions a positive correlation between energy consumption and economic growth. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I I mean, Colorado is a top 10 producer of energy in the country, and that is, you know, Oil and gas, renewables, you name it. So it is crucial obviously, that we understand what a vital role we're playing um, as we produce more oil and gas um, up in Weld County and the denver julesburg Basin. There's going to be a need still for people working in the oil and gas sector. But additionally, as the new clean fuel standards, clean heat, building, electrification, and everything comes online, we're going to need to also fuel another pipeline running in parallel to that. And I think Colorado is really ground zero for showing the need for workforce.
0: Let's talk about workforce because I think we both have aging workforces uh, and similar challenges that way. Tell us a little bit about this issue in the energy sector and kind of what you all are doing to uh, address that. I would be remiss
1: if I didn't talk about, you know, Governor Polis's push to really get a careers pathway going through the Colorado Workforce Development Council. I think that's a huge thing to acknowledge that these jobs are coming and that we need to start creating opportunities for kids from a young age, even. Consumer Energy Alliance does an Energy Day festival, which really brings out all of the Uh, different organizations from solar, wind, oil and gas, even parts of the extraction with fracking uh, to really show what all is out there. And I think if kids understand and learn early, they can understand what's really out there. I mean, if you start thinking about, you know, even the blue collar jobs and the white collar jobs that are going to be, needed for this area, um, it even doubles, right? Then you think of all the ancillary and support jobs. Uh, You think of like transportation logistics, taking care of nasals or drill heads. I think it's just one of those things that there's so many opportunities, but if you aren't aware of them, you don't even know where to start.
0: Yeah. So how are you all addressing that awareness. What are some things that you guys are most proud of as an industry as far as promoting what's possible in the energy sector?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the national labs work on um, hiring a lot of kids who are looking at innovation and new technology that's going to be employed out there. The oil and gas uh, field is out in schools. They are going in early to some minority schools to talk to them about opportunities. So Mm -hmm. people see that there's a way, you know, into their specific areas or out of their specific areas. You have the wind and solar energy industries that are, you know, doing workforce development programs, bringing those lessons in. Um, So I think everybody's really kind of adding – those through STEM schools you see across the country. But I think one of the biggest things and one thing that lends a lot to what you guys are doing is the skills-based hiring Mm -hmm. uh, and really focused in on apprenticeship programs and on-the-job training and what that's going to mean. Not all kids want to sit in a classroom and read out of a book. A lot of kids are hands-on. A lot of people are hands-on. And so even if somebody's in a job now, there's always ways for them to... Move or transition into the next career pathway in their life.
0: Yeah, I think you highlighted a key point that you got to get to them earlier and earlier. You know, it used to be that high school is where you captured your workforce and. Uh, some would argue that that really needs to start in junior high yeah. uh, because by the time they get to high school, the path is programmed for them, uh, whether it be courtesy of their parents or a counselor or exposure to traditional four-year institutions. And all of those things are great. But you know we both as industries rely on skilled trades, hands-on folks, and Uh, The pipeline for that type of an individual isn't highlighted enough, at least in my opinion, in the schools.
1: No, uh, and I don't understand why that is. Uh, You know, you have people pushing for, you know, they can do desk jobs and, you know, be an engineer or mathematician or all of these things. But these other jobs are not just crucial. They're vital Mm -hmm. to the success of our economies and where we live. Um, I just think about the fact that as production has increased, you really see we don't have a ton of refineries here. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you're having to export a lot of that energy for refining. Well, to meet that capacity at a new refinery, you need more pipelines. So you're going to need more guys out there welding. You're going to need more technicians in the field. And we we don't talk about that at all. I think we do ourselves a disservice because obviously as we evolve, we're going to need People who work in the electric utility space, linemen are a huge issue. XL is facing right now is enough guys to go out there when, you know, it's cold or raining and the power is out. Who's going to get that power turned on? And those guys are really important. You saw they were critical for bringing energy back online during the last hurricane in Florida. So you start thinking of the little intricacies of energy and energy development and supply and transmission of that energy. Mm -hmm. And I think all of those touch points all have to be evaluated for what's needed um, now
0: and into the future. I'm on board with that for sure. And, you know, we talk about skilled trades, and you've already highlighted it a little bit, but your industry relies on employers like mine or employers in the electrical industry to come out and take either the resource that's coming out of the ground or being generated through a wind farm and a solar farm and then get it into the grid. Um, and so from, you know, the energy industry or the energy sector, you've highlighted some of the importance and the criticality of those positions are you all working in concert with other utilities on you know, drawing light to you know kind of what's possible there for uh, the energy sector, or are there ways that we can engage together?
1: Yeah, um, you know, one of our biggest supporters across the country are the trades groups and the union guys. Um, they are critical right, to what we do. The small businesses can't turn on their lights without these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, projects don't get built without these guys. They are vital, vital to the industry. And it's unfortunate because you see a lot of energy activists uh, that are looking for some of the transition to happen. And they say, we need to get going. And these people can just switch jobs. Well, these these are trained professions. You're out, you're working. Like, a, with welding equipment, you know, you're Mm -hmm. out in situations that are dangerous and it's important for critical training, right? For these men and women that are out there. It's really hard because, you know, even on a solar site, developing panels or putting up windmills, you can't just hire anybody. It's not like you can take a day worker. These things are very specific. And I think the renewable industry, just like the oil and gas industry, takes it very serious about, you know, hiring. And I think these guys do a great job. And there's plenty of opportunity. And now with, you know, on-the-job training and some of the skills-based hiring, I think it'll be more important than
0: ever. Uh, Let's go back to CEA as an organization. Uh, Really two questions. Um, If you were able to enact policy today and you were ruler for a day and you came up with a policy, what would that ideal policy look like?
1: You know, I don't know that I have one specific policy in mind, but I think, One of the things I would say is going back to a Congress that was functioning Mm -hmm. (laughs) and work together to actually create policies that were good for their constituents instead of good for the fringe. Too much lately, we do impulse policy or what some of my colleagues like to call Twitter policy is, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody yells on the Internet and a congressional member or a state legislator picks it up. I think if I had to create any policy, it would be really going back and refining and creating realistic ways that we can move forward with the current policies that we have.
0: Same question, but if you were a ruler for a day, what would you want our listeners to know about CEA and how can we support your efforts? How do we get involved? Absolutely.
1: In terms of a trade organization, we're not Focused just on solar. We're not just focused on oil and gas or wind. Uh, we really look at the bigger picture and how they integrate all together, um, how each one of them fits into the market, and really ultimately how it benefits your business, your day to day work, and individual consumers. You know, when we go out, we're speaking for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we're speaking for me. We're speaking for the people who sometimes don't feel like they have a voice or they're working three jobs to make ends meet and they don't have an advocate out there for them. I always say to our member companies, it's, you know, they're smaller businesses and individuals. You can't hire a lobbyist, right? You can't hire somebody to go out for you. We do that. We look at the overall issues. You know, maybe there's something that's going to affect solar that's really bad for consumers, we're going to go out there and have that conversation just like we would for electric utility or a small business looking to make sure their bills stayed low because they have natural gas access or they can't afford to transition to electricity tomorrow. Uh, So really just being there for consumers and individuals and understanding their needs.
0: It's very important work, uh, especially in this state. I think oil and gas employs just about as many people as construction does. Uh, They're good paying jobs and they supply all of our businesses and homes with the needed energy uh, to either heat or cool, which is where we play. Uh, And so we thank you for your work and we thank you for your advocacy.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So maybe an unfair question. Uh, The next question is, Emily didn't come into this world and wasn't in uh, elementary school saying, I'm going to go work for uh, uh, CEA. I'm going to go play in the energy space. What did you want to do when you grew up, when you were little?
1: Maybe I'm the weirdo. I never wanted to be the president. I wanted to be his speechwriter. I wanted to be the person that when that important person got up and had something to say and it moved people and it changed the way they thought or built up who they were who they thought they are communities making change i wanted to be the inspirational voice behind the person Hmm. uh saying it so the quiet kind of behind the scenes that's interesting
0: that's cool ladies and gentlemen that concludes our show today thank you for emily for joining us and um, learn, I'd love learn a little bit more about CEA and your work. Stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the women and men building our communities, building our skylines, and building our future. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.